Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. One thing before we start the show. I want to let you know about a special interview you'll hear at the end of this episode. It's with the host of a brand new podcast called Art Architects, the architects of art. The cool thing is this show is hosted by Director X and Taj Critchlow, two of the biggest music video directors on the planet. These guys are responsible for game-changing videos from artists like Drake and Coldplay and Kendrick Lamar and so many more. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. I sure did. That's coming up at the end of this episode. All right, let's get on with things. On Saturday, August 20th, 2016, tens of millions of Canadians watched and listened to the final Tragically Hip concert from Kingston. Given Gord Downey's illness, we knew that this was the last time we'd see the band perform together live. That was followed by one of the saddest days in the history of Canadian music, October 17th, 2017, the day Gord Downey died. One tweet summed up everything. Canada closed, death in the family. So that was it then. After more than 30 years, the most Canadian rock band of all time was done. All we had were the music and the memories. But what if we were wrong about that? What if somewhere there was a trove of unreleased material that no one knew existed? And what if a strange confluence of events led to that cache of music, songs that no one, even the band, had heard for decades, being found and released? And what if those long-lost songs were really, really good? To answer those questions, yes, there was a stash of unheard songs. Yes, their rediscovery was the result of an accident. And yes, they are really, really good. The result was a brand new Tragically Hip album that brings fans back to the band's glory days of the early 90s. It's like a time machine. The hip are playing together again and playing great. And Gord is back. Here's Rob Baker from the band. It has been difficult on some levels, you know, enjoyable to hear songs that were so dear to us 30 years ago and 30 years go by and you haven't heard them. But as you say, it's like Gord is in the room and sometimes there's between song chatter, uh, some of which has been preserved, I think, on uh, the various formats coming up. But uh, it's hard, you know, to hear Gord in the room then and be transported back like that. The new record is called Saskadelphia. We'll hear all these once missing tragically hip songs, how they were made, what happened to them, and how they were finally found. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this program is about some remarkable musical archaeology that has brought us some brand new, well, at least unheard until now, tragically hip recordings. If you remember the band back in the day, prepare for a visit from some ghosts. And to get the whole story, I talked to all four surviving members of the band, now, if you are surprised that these songs exist, you're not the only one. Even the band was a little freaked out. Here's Paul Angwa. But still, I didn't really want to push play. Like, it was in the evening, and I, I was just like, hmm, I don't know. Like, none of these made the record, and I haven't heard them in 30 years. Like, what's this going to be like? Rob Baker and Gord Sinclair had the same reactions. And you had to be listening to this stuff and think, damn, we were a pretty good band back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very much so. It That's another part of being taken back in time. Just we kind of had the tiger by the tail at that point up to here had done really well. And we were 
playing in Europe and all over North America. And it was also, you know, the, the start of a really creative period for us where we had kind of ditched the idea of individually writing and we're really starting to get our chops together writing together which is opening up huge. I think that's part of the reason we had so many tracks and songs together going in and continued to write when we were down in New Orleans. It was a real, yeah, it was like stepping into a time machine. It was really, it continues to be really, really something. Okay, wait, 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 hold up. What exactly are we talking about? These songs are tracks that were recorded for, but never made the Road Apples album back in 1991. The hip had gone down to New Orleans to a studio called Kingsway, armed with about a dozen songs that were destined for the record. And before we go any further, let's gain some sonic context by hearing a song from Road Apples that we do know. This will help explain why the songs in Saskadelphia didn't make the cut back in 91. Pay attention to the sound and structure of this song. Here's a taste of it. That's, of course, the Tragically Hip and Little Bones, the first single from Road Apples, the hip's first album to reach number one in Canada. And now that we kind of got a sonic hold on the hip's musical headspace at the time, let's move forward discussing the tracks from Saskadelphia. After they arrived at Kingsway Studios in New Orleans in September of 1990, they kept writing. They were in a groove. And they end up with way more songs than they could use. Here's Robin Gord again. Now, let, let's go back to those sessions. So it's 1991. You've finished touring behind up to here. You head to New Orleans to record this, well, the difficult second record, right? But you've got so much going on. Gord's got so many ideas. You guys are jamming so hard that you actually thought about this being a, a double album. Yeah, I don't know that we ever really did. I hear this a lot, but I don't know that that was really on our radar. Or, or on Don's radar. I think uh, we just wanted to make sure, you know, everyone's aware of the sophomore curse. And uh, we wanted to make sure the follow-up to Up To Here was as good or better. And we went down armed with a lot of songs. As is Don's style, he's all about the microphone placement, getting everyone set up in the right place to make it sound good, and then just recording everything nonstop. So there was a good uh, week of production pre-production and then a week of setting up mics and getting sounds and putting stuff on tape and listening. And that whole time we were just running through material and there were a lot of songs. There are a lot of songs we haven't found yet, but pretty happy with what we did find. When it came time to put road apples to bed, some hard decisions were made to pare things down to an even dozen for the record. The songs that got cut. Well, let's start there with Gord Sinclair and Rob Baker. So let me get this straight. You found these tapes in a box somewhere. They were two-inch tapes. They were not labeled. And you sort of figured out what they were from the handwriting you saw in the boxes? Well, yeah, that, that's, that's actually a simple explanation for it. Um, John, Johnny's made a number of trips to the storage place uh where universal has all these things uh and he's found them on a bunch of different occasions there was one batch where he was able to find 20 i think we recorded like 65 reels of two inch tape for this for road apples one the first time he went he was able to track down uh 20 or so some of which were labeled so that was fairly easy but we knew there were more they were all in different locations in this storage thing we're still we still haven't found 
25 of them. The next batch, yeah, it was kind of looking at comparing handwriting of the engineer at the time, a guy named Bruce Barris, on the spine of the boxes. But they, they, yeah, they weren't labeled as the tragically hip or anything like that. It, it's been a really crazy process, almost two years in the making, trying to, trying to track this record down. When Jake came back on board, Jake is like a, a dog on a bone. And between, <laughs> between Jake and Johnny, no one had a hope. They were going to find those tapes for sure. <laughs> and that's what they did. They just, they were relentless about it. And it was like an archaeological dig, but we've been able to reassemble a huge chunk of the skeleton. Now, I did the liner notes for the 25th anniversary of the Fully Completely album. So I got to play in a little portion of your archives. <laughs> there is so much stuff there that I, I can't imagine how difficult it was to, to go through those storage facilities, wherever they were, to find this stuff, especially if it's unlabeled. But, you know, 65 two-inch tapes, I mean, they, they should be hiding in plain sight, you'd think, right? Yeah, so, so you would think in terms of the archiving, at the very least, and, and, you know, basic library science or whatever. But no, they were spread all over the place. One was kind of in a, a, a miscellaneous box with a number of different artists and you know, that was just of the time and, and working with a guy like Don Smith um, did a lot of stuff with Petty and Keith Richards and that the ethos was just to keep playing and playing and playing in the studio and never stop recording. So that's the way we kind of cut our teeth with him beginning with up to here and then moving into Road Apples where we would just we would just roll and do different versions and just try to catch a vibe. So there's a it was amazing going through this and just stumbling on songs that we didn't even remember recording frankly, for, for this record. Now here's Johnny Fay and Paul Langwa talking about the tapes. So they were, they were in, in California uh, for Fully Completely. They were at Richard Branson's um, mastering house um, in um, California. We also found some tapes were in Pennsylvania in an abandoned mine shaft, which is a, a really a big place for storing two-inch tapes because they take up a lot of real estate. And what they do is they take old mine shafts and encase them in um, concrete and then uh, climate control them. And then they put those tapes down there. I think Johnny Carson has one of those vaults someplace with all the master tapes of its night show. Uh, Frank Zappa's got an even bigger one. It, it's just, it boggles my mind that you would go through a recording session and that the tapes from these sessions would not be immediately archived and, and stored someplace. How does that happen? Ex explain to me how, we're, what's the life cycle of these tapes once these sessions are done? Eventually, they're all going to die. So um, we needed to uh, basically bake them for years and years and years. And we went on our way, you know, we just were touring all the time, touring, touring, recording, writing, and not thinking of Road Apple's outtake whatsoever 30 years so you know some person at the record company has an idea oh, let's get this tape from la and let's put them here anyway it just ended. um it's not as organized as uh, it was at the time I, I think what one of the things that uh one of the guys uh, a guy who does uh, rick rubin stuff uh, and he was doing it for johnny cash i i chatted with him and he worked uh at the studio in uh new orleans at one point, and he said, if you lift the lid on it and it smells kind of uh, acidic, like vinegary, then you really have got like one go at it. You got to bake it 
And what happens is that the tape can actually leave, uh, uh, leave the adhesive. And so um, if you don't get it to the right temperature and transfer it right away, you might not even get one listen out of it. Something like you put it in an oven for 30 minutes, 325 degrees or something like that. There's a formula for it's It's really quite complicated. It is, but it, it, you look at the, the oven that it goes into and it looks like an easy bake oven. That's all it is. It's this little oven that it keeps at low temperature. And, it's, and what it does is it sucks all the humidity out of the tape, is my understanding. And then you've got your pass at putting it up. And um, that's kind of the way it works. And you gotta, you got to bake them and then you got to transfer them within that sort of 12-hour period while they're sort of... Uh, just after they've cooled. Let's go through these tracks. Uh, Ouch is the first song. Pretty much vintage hip. Reminds me a little bit of Twist My Arm and Cordelia, which are both on the album. Could that have been why the al- the song didn't make the cut? That's exactly why the song. I don't. I think in almost every case, probably in every case, it's not a quality issue. It's we wanted to make a diverse record, and we didn't want to get pigeonholed as one thing. So it came down to twist my arm or ouch. And we made that call or Don Smith made that call. But uh, they were both uh, road tested songs. Uh, they both stand up in my mind. I think uh, ouch is great to hear it after all those years. I was it's like, wow, and this didn't make the record. <laughs> it's a pretty good song. Unheard tragically yet, at least until now. The song is called Ouch, and it leads off this new, old, tragically hip album entitled Saskadelphia. I want to talk about the title of the album. So, Saskadelphia, that just screams, tell me the story behind the name. Well, we were, we had toured a lot in the preceding two years, three years, four years. And uh, you find yourself, you don't know, you know, what town am I in tonight? And, uh, someone made the joke, oh, uh, I think we're in Saskadelphia. And we thought it was a funny title. And the record company, U.S. record company, said, yeah, too Canadian. We can't do that. So that's, that's what led to Road Apples, which, far, which they didn't get at all. Yeah, far more Canadian than Saskadelphia could ever be. Now, I grew up in the country, so I understand what a road apple is. Do you want to explain it for those people who have only lived in the city? We called road hockey road apples because in my parents' generation, they would go out and play road hockey with a piece of frozen horse And those are road apples. So road apps is a game, a pickup game of road hockey in our, in our mind, but it's also horse We're going to call our own album horse and beat the critics to it. <laughs> that was the, that was the concept. <laughs> and didn't didn't you send? If my memory is correct, didn't you send actual road apples encased in lucite out to a number oh, yeah. of people? As yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Yes, the uh, the delivery of said road apples <laughs> to have them encased is a whole other story. Let's carry on with the album. Here's Gord Sinclair and Rob Baker again. Track two. Kind of makes me feel of um, little bones a bit. Well, it's interesting you say that. It was it was kind of necessary. It was definitely going to be on the record until we got down to New Orleans, and we wrote little bones while we were down there in the 
in the rehearsal, in the, the pre-production. Um, and it kind of surplanted necessary as like your kind of lead off rocker, but necessary. Uh, we were playing tons live. Like it was, it was in my mind, it was a sure thing going into that session. Um, and yeah. again, listening back to it, you think, wow, that that's a really good rock and roll song, you know, really kind of a, a, a very hip sounding tune, you know? Yeah. I remember being in a dressing room at the spoke in uh, London, the student pub at Western and uh, we had finished our set and they were calling for an encore and Gordon said, let's play this song necessary. And we were like, we've never played it. <laughs> and he picked up the acoustic guitar and he was showing us Gord Sinclair here showing us, yeah, it's, it's easy. It's, this is all it is. And we went out and played it for the encore, which is <laughs> having never played it, which was kind of what we used to do then. Tragical Hip with another lost song from the Road Apple Sessions from 1990. That's called Not Necessary, and it was unearthed for this new Saskadelphia album. More tracks and more stories from those sessions from all the members of the Hip coming right up. Here's more information on the musical archaeological dig that resulted in this Tragically Hip album from the past called Saskadelphia. Now, we always hear about artists bringing out unreleased material from the vaults, and that sounds like you just grab a tape off a shelf someplace and play it back. But that's not how it works. Here's Gord Sinclair with more of the ordeal the hip went through with Saskadelphia, including that idea of baking the tapes. Now, uh, back to the rediscovery of these songs. We, we, you'd literally forgotten about them. It wasn't as easy as, as putting these tapes on a machine and playing them back. I mean, when you, when you leave magnetic tape anywhere for a while, it degrades. So yeah. there had to be some archaeological preservation of these, of these tapes. What's yeah, there? Very, very much so. Um, I, again, once once we got this ball rolling, and I and full credit to to Johnny and Rob. Once we pulled the tapes, we were able to get back into Revolution, the studio in Toronto. Uh, and while Johnny was listening back, reel after reel after reel, we went through the process of actually baking the tapes so that they they can be stored properly. And I mean, we're in a situation now where we've transferred everything to and digitized everything, but ironically, no one's turned on a hard drive after 50 years to actually see if they still work. So the thinking is, let's preserve these tapes as best as we can. They clearly weren't preserved in a very good way. I mean, they weren't even labeled, right? So we're, we're actually archiving and, and, and discovering and, and digging all at the same time. So it, it's been a really, it's been a really good process that it's the only good thing to come out of that fire, as far as I'm concerned, is, is it has kind of inspired us to get our act together and, and, and look after that material. There was one track from this album that was from another tape, or at least another collection of tapes, that had nothing to do with Road Apples. As far as fans have been able to document, there were, up until the release of this album, 65 unreleased hip songs. We know that this is a fairly good number because people have been keeping track of songs the band has played live but never released, and they may or may not have been recorded at some point. So, 65 songs. One of those tracks dates back to around the time of Road Apples, so 1991. And for this record, the band found a very special live version. There's Montreal, uh, a song that you played in concert back in 91 and just one other time, which was in 2000. I didn't realize that song dated from Road Apples. It's, it's about the Ecole Polytechnique murders in 1989. And the version that we hear on Saskadelphia is that 
one other performance in 2000, which was, uh, I guess, on an anniversary of, of, those, of the massacre. We were in the Bell Centre, the, the rink in Montreal, realized it was the anniversary of the, of the massacre at Ecole Polytechnique. And um, again, the, 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 <laughs> the internet was rolling then, so we were, we were able to find the lyrics online. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. You, you didn't remember the song? Oh, well, Robbie, Robbie knew the song Cold, which is pretty amazing. It was a good song. Like, uh, it, it was really easy to refresh on it. But Rob knew all the chords. Gord didn't know any of the words. Billy I, th- I think I had suggested that we do it as an encore. And Gord was like, yeah, I don't know the words. And we went out and played the set. And when we came off and we were getting ready to go on and do the encore, uh, someone came up with their phone and said, here are the lyrics. I printed them out. <laughs> Gord had a quick read over them and said, oh, yeah, I remember. And then we went and did it. The mother's gonna make her love Don't you worry. The mother's gonna make her love Montreal, not from the Road Apple sessions in New Orleans in 1990, although the song was written around that time. Instead, it's a live version from 2000 at the Bell Centre in Montreal. Let's keep going with a song called Crack My Spine Like a Whip. Uh, that's that's one of the songs that's all over the Tragically Hip message, message boards, uh, fans saying that, you know, this is a, an unreleased track from way back when. So you're finally putting this one out. You played that as an opening song for your sets back in 1991, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a, a, a really tested and true road song for sure. It, it had just has a immediate energy to it, almost punky in a lot of ways and so we would either open shows with it or we would close shows with it or open an encore with it it just had a fantastic energy and it kind of set the tone of a live show hey we're here and we're here to hit the ground running uh, and it was a great song that way and again i i don't know why it di- didn't make the record just i think we just had a better collection of songs when it when it came down to to counting them up you know, I've talked to various producers and asked them if they've ever gone back and listened to the records that they've worked on. And most of them say no, because they'll hear the, the, the flaws. They'll hear that they'll know about the songs that should have made the record. Are you looking back at Road Apples now thinking, hmm, maybe we should have fiddled with the track listing a little bit? I, uh, I think it's a solid record. I think it stands on its own. I think it's great to enhance it this way and uh, expand the vision of it. But the album itself was fine. You know, going back to a song like Crack My Spine Like a Whip, I think one of the things that maybe held a song like that back uh, is that Don Smith's approach was, we're going to play this song and we're going to play it over and over and over until we get a killer version. And uh, he wanted guitar solos live off the floor. He wanted the vocals live off the floor. And with a song like Crack My Spine Like a Whip, which is such a high energy thing, after you've played it five or six times, it's not going to improve. And I think that at a certain point, it kind of became like, let's play something else. The Tragically Hip, with an official release, finally, of a song they used to play a lot back in the early 90s. That's Crack My Spine Like a Whip. There are two more songs on the Saskadelphia album that we need to discuss, and that's coming up next. The Tragically Hip released a new album in 2021, except 
that had featured songs from 30 years ago. And we're looking at how this all came about. There are a total of six tracks running over about 20 minutes, and this one showed up as track five. Just as well, track five, that circulated as a bootleg for decades. Uh, and you played that one quite a bit back in the day, too. It's got a bit of a country twang to it. And that's uh, the Bruce at the beginning, where Gregor refers to a Bruce. Who is that? Yes, that's that's Bruce Barris, uh, who was the engineer on the project, uh, the late, great Bruce Barris, uh, sadly. Yeah, again, just as well was another one that we played a lot live. Uh, it's just a great, it's just a rock and roll song, you know. And I think the country feel to it is, is just like that amalgam of blues and country and and whatever that became rock and roll. That's one we recorded a lot. There were a lot of versions uh, on on different reels of tape that Johnny found when he was going through this stuff. And this is a particularly good one. And again, it just when we were counting them up trying to get an A-side and a B-side, it narrowly missed being on the record. Oh, that's right. You know, I forgot about the concept of B-sides. And and none of these were released as B-sides, were they? Or bonus tracks? No, not at all. It was such a funny time. Like, this was our first foray into... This is the first CD we ever made, uh, was for for Road Apples. And it's it funny. It was a weird time, you know. We always thought, in, you know, five songs on... A five songs on B, you know, and you pick your best 10. And that was the kind of the approach instead of, you know, everyone went down that, that path of putting 60 and 70 minutes of music on a CD when, you know, maybe, maybe the 30 minutes was, you know, A side, B side was a better approach to that. Tragically Hip with more from the new album of old unreleased tracks. That's called Just As Well. One thing fans should notice about the physical copies of Saskadelphia is the packaging. The photo on the front was sourced from the same session and the same photographer as what we see on the front of Road Apples. And the photo on the back was taken by another photographer who was also involved in the Road Apples project back in 1990. And the thing that really lends a great retro element is how guitarist Rob Baker is credited. Back in 1991, Rob was going by Bobby Baker, and that's exactly how he's listed on this album. So, nice touch. The final song on Saskadelphia is the oldest of the bunch. The oldest song is Reformed Baptist Blues, last track. That dates all the way back to at least the late 80s. It was one of the first five songs that you guys wrote together, wasn't it? I wouldn't say it was one of the first five, but it was definitely very early on. It was... (laughs) Uh, I'll leave it to Gord to tell the story or not of the song, but uh, these tunes, Gord Sinclair's songs, and uh, from the in the early years, the first year and a half of the band, Gord was basically our sole songwriter. I'll leave it to him if he wants to, <laughs> to tell the story of how that came about. It was just one of those situations where you know we were kind of fighting against being a cover band. You know, it was tough to get jobs in the in the bars without being a cover band. So, you know, we started writing our own material. We would try to slide these tunes in and we would say, okay, this is a, an old door song and whatnot. To me, I, I listened back and, and that definitely predated maybe even the EP when we put it out, you know? Yeah, uh, definitely did. And it's just, it's just a funny thing. We, we, we evolved beyond 
Robbie writing a song or Paul writing a song or Gord writing a song. And, and but that one, I, I hear it, I hear it now. And I think, gosh, it would have been so much better to have done this if, if we'd written it together with a little, little more <laughs> variety in what the guitar is doing. And um, yeah. And, and lyrically it's uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah. It's proof positive why we put Gordon charge of the lyrics in the bit, you know, I mean, it was fun to do in, at the time in a hot, sweaty club in the, when we were young men, but I, I don't know that it would stand up now in the hip pantheon. I got those sounds Reformed Baptist Blues, the sixth and final track from the Hips 2021 album, Saskadelphia. All right, now the inevitable question. If the band managed to find these six songs from way back in the day, is there more stuff that needs to be found and released? Oh, there were other songs for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think we had an afternoon where Don just said, okay, let's empty the cupboard, dump everything you've got out on onto the floor. and there's going to be a ton of stuff on tape once we, once we find it, you know, some, some we multi-tracked and worked over and over again, like crack my spine or necessary or just as well. Others, we just like, nah, that's, that's in the past type of thing. Now here's Johnny Fay on the subject. There's definitely some other tapes because when we went back and listened, there's uh, one version of uh, three pistols, which is the tracking version. And if you listen to the, uh, tapes. I mean, the guy we worked with, Don Smith, was a master. And um, he always liked to use fresh tape because he'd worked with uh, Keith Richards, Tom Petty, the Traveling Wilburys. And that's the way that they were doing stuff, whether it be in a house or a studio. And so we always like to have fresh tape at hand. We know that we did multiple versions of all of the songs. And then we also had room to do these outtakes or these songs that we didn't end up using. So there's a couple of tapes that are definitely missing. But for now, I mean, um, this is it. You know, I think maybe some will resurface at a later date, but who knows? Finally, Paul Lingua. I mean, we got a lot of stuff and this, that's why we're doing this. You know, it, it honors Gord because he was a big part of it and he was there. It was five of us. Yeah, it's kind of a shame uh, not to sort of make it available out there. And um, so this this was our first run at it, our first try at it, and um, and everyone's happy with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the quest will continue, I think, and um, everyone's into it. Everyone's pretty enthusiastic and back, and we're out of our fog. And so it's like, okay, well, let's see what we can find. Tragically Hip fans await what comes next. Before we finish, there will be a Tragically Hip reunion of sorts at the Juno Awards on June the 6th. The Hip, live at the Junos, featuring Feist. How did that come about? Uh, there's been a real resistance amongst all of us to delve back in and open that door. We were asked, it was proposed to us that we play, that it's the 50th anniversary of the Junos, and that it would be you know, receiving an incredible honor that maybe it would be a good thing to play. And also this time that everyone is going through with the loss of live music and live venues in danger and so many musicians and people across the board hurting. Yeah. It just seemed like if there was a time when we were going to entertain the idea that this is probably it. And 
uh, we couldn't really, a bunch of people were suggested who uh, we might have sing with us. And wasn't until Feist was suggested and everyone kind of sort of sat up and said, oh, that actually kind of makes sense. That, that works for me. Everyone had that same response. We have maximum respect for Leslie. Yeah, uh, an incredible right. person, incredible singer. Hey, listen, Nirvana did it with uh, Lord, St. Vincent, Kim Gordon, and Joan Jett when they were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I thought that was a brilliant move, having a woman step up front. Uh, you guys are doing the same thing, and I also think it's brilliant. Yeah, I know. It would make Gord smile, for sure. That was, we all, we all instantly thought that. Gord would approve of this. <laughs> that should be interesting. And now that fans know that the band is working on finding more old material in the archives, they will want more. There are podcasts of hundreds of ongoing history shows. They're available for free downloads on all the platforms. If you're looking for more music news and information, try my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. Get the free daily newsletter, too. We can meet up on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And should an email be required, drop me a line through alan at alancross.ca. Thanks to Gord, Rob, Johnny, and Paul for helping out with this program. And we remember you, too, Gord Downey. Thanks to Jake Gold, their manager, and the folks at Universal Music Canada. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Before we leave today's Ongoing History of New Music podcast, uh, I want you to know that we're part of a network called Curious Cast. And Curious Cast has a lot of podcasts available on its network. And one of the new ones is called Art Cotex. And I have two of the hosts of Art Cotex with me here. Uh, we have Taj Krishlow and Director X. And we want to give you a bit of a, an introduction to what this new podcast is all about. So who wants to go first and explain exactly what you guys will be doing? And obviously, here's a hint. If you're at the end of this podcast, my podcast, Chance Start has something to do with music. So our show is pretty much about it's in the world of music. It's pretty much us sitting down with uh, storytellers that come from music videos. Uh, I feel like we live in a world where we don't give these, these amazing creative uh, artists uh, the flowers they deserve. They create some of the most uh, impactful uh, content on the planet that gets a lot of eyeballs on it. And coming from the world of music video, being in the business for over 20 years, we felt it was necessary to create a show like Architects, to sit down and hear their stories, their come ups, their journey, their process of creating some of the most iconic music videos, films, and content on the planet. Now, you guys have been deeply involved in this world for, like you say, a long time. Who have you worked with? I've directed videos for Alicia Keys, Puff Daddy, Cisco, uh, uh, Destiny's Child, Drake, Justin Bieber, Two Chains. Rosalia, Iggy Azalea, Sean Paul, Beanie Man, um, Ariana Grande. Uh, well, you know. Okay, uh, now, now now you're just bragging. Corn, <laughs> <laughs> John Mayer, the list goes on. Like we, this has literally been um, a crazy journey, and and I would say X is the goat because as long as he's been doing it. Like like late '90s to now is still relevant, you know. Like 
we broke our, our production company fella with uh, this music video for, uh, for DJ Khaled, Drake and Bieber called pop star. So it's, it's, it's been a crazy journey. And, um, there were two kids from Brampton, Ontario that, uh, went out to, you know, make art that broke out to the world. And now we're using our podcast as another form of storytelling, but through an audio uh, medium. Okay. How are you going to make that transition? You've been telling stories through video. Now it's going to be only audio. So, uh, you're going to have to change your style a little bit, I guess. I mean, we're talking to the creators, so it's a different kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, the, the story is the story of the maker. So it's not conceptualizing music and visuals to it. It's talking like the last, the first podcast, the debut of our, of the show was with Dave Myers. Um, another guy that's been in the game for a long, long time. And just talking about that, the philosophy behind his approach to art, the work he's done. And, you know, as well, digging into some of the larger world issues out there. Like we have a whole talk about black lives matter uh, on that podcast and being a white director and his perspective coming up in a black music uh, world. So it's just a, it's a little different than what we're used to doing. Without any spoilers, give me the kind of stories that you'll be telling. Give me an example of a story. I guess the examples is pretty much their come up. Um, what they what gravit what what drew them in to get into this world of uh, filmmaking. Um, their influences, um, their highs, their lows, and pretty much their breakthrough moment. And and a lot of times, to your point, um, Alan, like when you watch a music video, you're just seeing the end result, but you don't see what, what went into to make that product. And, and that, that piece of art as far as the storyboards and the, the art direction and sitting down with your head department and the collaboration. So it's pretty much we're, we're, we're giving them that kind of, you know, close set behind experience where you get to see the process of how uh, we get to the finish line. Right. Because I've, I've always, I've often watched music videos and wondered where the hell did this come from? What kind of <laughs> headspace do you have to be in to come up with these images, these storylines, these, you know, things. Uh, and, and I have no idea. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's the point of the show. Like, look, we're probably like around the same age. Like I came up, I came up in the eighties era where that's what made me fall in love with music videos, right? The MTV much music era watching videos by like, Madonna and Peter Gabriel and like Phil Collins and, and Michael Jackson and, uh, uh, and Aerosmith. And I was always fascinated by music videos and the storytelling and the dancing and the style and all that stuff. And that's what got, that's what made us fall in love with the art. So imagine if you could go back in the days and sit down with Duran Duran and talk about the hungry, like a wolf video, like what the hell compelled you guys to be in this jungle and, and, and just going through this crazy, crazy story and sitting down with like the best of the best and hearing their, the stories of the directors working with Madonna and working with the stones. And that's the beauty about the show. It's like, we get that access to these filmmakers, to these artists. I've worked with the biggest and brightest artists in the entertainment business, but learn about that journey, that creative journey, that collaboration to make the work that we see that's now on television or on YouTube. And, and before we jump, I just want to say, please follow us at Architects Pods. 
Uh, I can't wait for this. Sounds like a great series. Looking forward to it. It's called Art Architects with Karina Evans, Tash Critchlow, and Director X. And uh, I can't wait to hear some of these stories. Thank you so much, you guys. All right.